Masechet Moed Katan, Daf Kaf Chet. We'll cover the first Amud today, and we'll leave the second Amud and the very last a bit of a Daf for tomorrow to even it out as some really fantastic Agadot. We're starting off with um, some of the customs of burial for women, and that goes into a discussion of Miriam. And from there, we'll discuss different types of death, uh, at different ages and what they might symbolize. And we'll um, end off this Amud with uh, seven stories about sages and their deathbeds and some really fascinating lessons. So we begin, uh, that generally for men, when we uh, the, 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 there's a funeral procession carrying their body out, they would stop in the middle of the, in the, of the street and put it down and people would say eulogies and then they would uh, may stop multiple times along the way. However, the Mishnah teaches that should be done for men, but not for women because of honor. Uh, what does that mean? And the rabbis of Nehada said, this law of the Mishnah applies only to women in childbirth. Uh, sadly, women often died in childbirth. And so you can imagine that this would be uh, a lot of blood and bodily fluids. And so if uh, difficult to clean up, if they would put the body uh, down on, on the beer, on the um, uh, stretcher, uh, then uh, they, uh, these fluids would uh, be uh, 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 leaking out and it would be dis- dishonorable uh, for the deceased. And so therefore they would not do it for a woman who died in childbirth. But for other women who are healthy, so then that would be the same as men. And uh, uh, yes, they would put them put the bodies uh, down and pause and say eulogies and everything would be the same. Okay, that's the rabbis of Nehardah. However, disagrees and says, no, the same is the law for all women. Uh, they um, oh, who should be uh, buried uh, immediately and not stopping on the way. And we learned this from Miriam because it says she died there and they buried her there. In other words, they buried her right at the spot where she died. They did not move her to a different place. They did not stop on the way. They did not eulogize. And uh, that would be uh, kind of a general uh, respect uh, for, for, for bodies of women not to leave it out. Remember, they didn't have coffins, so they are kind of just wrapping them in, uh, in, um, in shrouds. And so it was felt that would be more respectful. I mean, it sounds from here like uh, it was uh, saying eulogies for women was more rare. We do have a, a couple of cases in the Talmud of rabbis giving eulogies for women. So it was definitely done in some cases, but just it was perhaps more rare uh, than, uh, than for men. So to be the same sage, be Elazad, he says something else about Miriam, uh, that she also died with a divine kiss. Sham, Sham, Mi Moshe. Moshe also says the word Sham there. Uh, so what does it mean? Uh, so to, to die with the kiss uh, for Moshe, it means that he died immediately without any pain or suffering. And just like uh, Adam Harishon, God blew into their nostrils the breath of life. So too, he uh, took it out, uh, with, sucked it out with a kiss. And uh, uh, just like a kiss feels pleasant, so too, their death was not 
who had no pain, it felt pleasant, and they, they died nice and comfortably. It only says it regarding Moshe, but the same is true for Miriam. The Pasuk we learned from regarding Moshe says Moshe died, Al Pi Hashem. The Peshat of that is based on God's word, right? Because God said so, said so. This is it, your time to go, and you can't go into the land. But literally, Al Pi on the mouth of uh, means with a divine kiss. And so even though it's the same is true for Miriam, we don't the Pasuk doesn't say it explicitly because it would be um, unseemly to say to say that. Obviously, it's a it's a metaphor in any case. God did not kiss Moshe literally either, but um, the oh, the undertones that one might imagine uh, by. Uh, imagining, uh, saying the words that God kissed a woman uh, would not be uh, appropriate, and therefore, uh, just as the word sham, and uh, but the the, the same uh, type of um, uh, of uh, death with love is a uh, is the same. Since something else about it. Why does it come right after the paragraph of Paraduma? Paraduma is in Bemidbar Yudtet. Death of Miriam is told in Bemidbar Perek Chaf. Why are they back to back? Just like the Paraduma brings atonement, um, really it brings Tahora. If someone's Tamemet, it brings them from Tumata to Tahora. But there's some correlation between them. Perhaps that's actually not the sprinkling, but the making of the Paraduma. When one burns it, it is called Parhachatat. And so, therefore, it is atoning, not for any specific person, but for general, for, 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 the, for the community. And so, just like the Paraduma has an aspect of kapara, so too, when a righteous person dies, uh, that inspires people to think about their, exam- that ex- their example and strive to be like them, and that brings atonement as well. Amar Rabbi El Azad, Lama Nismecha Mitat Aharon, the Big Kehuna. Uh, so a similar question in that same chapter in Bimidbar 20, uh, here it says, uh, right before Aharon is to die, um, Moshe removes his clothing, his, his big dekehuna, and uh, he places it uh, so that he can place it on Elazar, who's going to be the next Kohen Gadol. And so Moshe does uh, exactly that. He takes it off of El- he takes it off of Aharon, puts it on Elazar, and then Pasuk 28, So why is he talking about the clothing right at the same time? I mean, the simple answer is obvious. I have to take off his clothing so that he can, uh, we can uh, inaugurate the next Kohen Gadol. Uh, but in a deeper sense, Just like the clothing of the Kohen Gadol atone, so to the death of righteous people atone. How does the, the clothing of the Kohen, of, of, of Kohen atone? I, I think there's two senses. One, the simple one is that he's performing all the avodah, including chatat uh, uh, offerings and everything else, while he's wearing the big dekuna. So the big dekuna are necessary in order to uh, bring kapara, just like you're saying, you know, uh, um, uh, uniforms of police officers bring justice. It's not the uniforms themselves, but the actions that are done when they're wearing the uniforms. Um, uh, another a deeper sense, however, is uh, there is a midrash that talks about how each of the big dekuna, this is good relevant for parashat shavua coincidence, parashat uh, for example, for example, the choshen hamishpat atones for uh, sins done against uh, uh, against justice, or the bells on, at the bottom of the meal of the robe 
that make noise that will atone for lashon hara, noise that people make uh, in sin, and so on. So they might be of specific symbolism. And this idea goes back to Philo, who writes about this very chapter and talks about the deep symbolism of each of the various types of, of Kohen Gadol, that the, the clothing themselves are a... Uh, um, a praklit, uh, they are an intermediary uh, pleading on behalf of Bnei Israel. Okay, so this has a lot of meaning. And so too, the death of Sadiqim, their suffering and the death themselves, uh, that uh, uh, is, is punishment. And if, if not punishment that's deserving by the Sadiq, then the Sadiq is suffering for the um, sins of the generation. And so therefore, it too brings uh, kapara. All right, met pitom zohimita hatufa. Okay, although we just said that uh, Moshe, Miriam, uh, they die this uh, kiss of death, which uh, without suffering. Um, and nevertheless, it also has an opposite meaning. If someone dies suddenly, without any sickness, without any warning, that's called death by snatching. Uh, this person was, must have been liable to something that he got this immediately, uh, this punishment. If a person is sick for one day and then he dies, that's a, a little bit less severe. It's called expedited death. This is like, you know, uh, uh, we go to FedEx, right? Expedited uh, delivery or, you know, depending on how serious the, uh, the packages. A different opinion says a person is sick for one day and then dies, that that is considered death uh, through uh, a um, through a, through a, a, a disease, um, uh, through a, a pandemic. Um, so as and how do we know that? Uh, because regarding Yechezkel, when Hashem says, listen, your, uh, the love of your life, the love of your eyes is going to die, your wife, and she's going to die in a, in a pandemic. And uh, she's told that in the morning. And sure enough, that night, she dies at night. So she was sick for that one day. And uh, I guess depending on what disease it is, so this would be a pretty quick disease that would uh, spread and uh, people would only last one day. Person uh, gets sick for two days and dies, then that is a death that is uh, quickened. Uh, it's a quick one. If it's for three days, then that is rebuke. In other words, this person did something not so bad, a person needed to be rebuked. And so... Uh, it was able to survive for three days and then uh, gets the final rebuke. Arba Nizifa, four days would be a reprimand. And Nizifa also sometimes is a, refers to like a, a ban or excommunication. Uh, so uh, this is a, a message uh, from, uh, from Kadosh Baruch Hu that uh, they're not as bad as people that die more quickly, but somewhat bad. But standard death is after five days of sickness. That's usual. Someone gets sick for five days. They don't get better. So that's normal. That, I mean, in other words, that's kind of a natural death. The other ones are, are quick, that are quicker uh, indicate some amount of uh, punishment uh, together with it. How do we know that a standard death is five days after five days of sickness? Because regarding Moshe, and he was righteous, this gets a regular death, not because of any sin. It says uh, there, hen, and hen is one. We're going to see because in, in, in Greek, the word hen, one, is the same. That's a plural word. So that's two more. Yamecha is also plural. Days. 
That's another two days. So one, two, and two. Hachamisha is five. Hen chad sheken belshani vani korin lachat hen. Hen is considered one because in uh, Greek, right? Hen uh, 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 is in fact one. And so this is really interesting to make a play on words between the Hebrew word and its meaning in Greek. Uh, it does show though that the rabbis at least knew how to count to one in Greek. They probably knew a lot more than that. Uh, okay, so that was regarding how long a person is sick. Now, how about the number of years that one lives? If someone dies at 50 years old, then that means that person deserved uh, punishment of being uh, life being cut off. And so that's a young age. Um, even though the life expectancy back then was like in the 40s, but that was average. Really, um, uh, there was a lot of uh, child mortality. And then if someone made it past uh, childhood, they probably would w- live uh, a, a long life. You know, 60, 70 uh, was, was regular. So on average, it was 40, but most people didn't actually die in their 40s, uh, even when the life expectancy was 40. So even for back then, if someone made it past childhood and then died at 50, that was still considered to be dying young. And therefore, that's that's called karet. Fifty-two, though, that's Shemuel Hanavi, who was from Ramah. He died at 52 years old. This is not explicit in Pesukim, but it's, it can be calculated. And uh, and uh, therefore, Shemuel is righteous. So 52 isn't uh, can't be itself so bad if Shemuel uh, lived to that long. Shishim zohi mitabide shamayim. 60 years old is a death by the hands of heaven. So that's less severe than karet, but even 60, even for even for back then, was considered um, less than life, less than uh, average. Amar morzutra maikera dichtiv tavo bekelach ele kaver bekelach begimatria shitin havu. And Yob says you will come to your grave in, in, ripe, a, in, in ripe age. So what does that, uh, what does that mean? Bekelach gematria 60. So there you go. 60 is saying you will die because of divine punishment. Uh, probably, rabbis probably didn't uh, translate this as divine, as ripe age, but as um, as uh, a, 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 a explicit um, uh, death because of uh, a, a divine decree. Okay, so that's 50 and 60. 70, Shivim Seva. 70 is considered old age. That's uh, That would be in line with the uh, average uh, age expectancy back then uh, for someone who was healthy and uh, past childhood. Shimonim, Geburot, 80 years old. Then already we say that person has reached great strength. Uh, need a lot of strength to make it till that age. Based on the Pasuk, that uh, days of our years are 70. If we're really strong, we can make it 80, right? And so on. Okay, so that's uh, that's all one opinion. Rabba is now just adding something that between 50 and 60, not just 50 itself, but oh, that whole range, that whole decade is called Midat Karet, right? And the reason why in this source over here, it doesn't say, it only says 50 and not 50 until 60, is in order not to uh, imply anything negative about Shemuel, because Shemuel who died at 52, we don't want to say he died because of Karet. In fact, there's another Talmud in, uh, that we, we saw in Masechet Ta'anit, uh, that said Shemuel died early so that he would not have to see the death of Shaul, 
who he coronated. And so he asked to be to die early, not to have a negative experience. So for Shemuel, it was not because of uh, it was not because he was deserving of karet, um, but for uh, for other people in general, the that decade of fifty to sixty as associated with karet. You see from Shemuel that there are exceptions to this, right? Um, you know, just if maybe maybe you know someone who who uh, died uh, young and his fifties. Don't you shouldn't assume that it's because of this. We're going to see another uh, uh, exception here. Rav Yosef Yosef. When he turned 60, he made a party for all the sages. He invited all his colleagues and friends. I made it past the 50s, which would be associated with karet. So you see here, even Rav Yosef, who was a very righteous and uh, he was blind, uh, a, a sage, uh, still was worried that who knows, maybe he made some mistake and could be liable to karet. And he was happy when he was not. This is something very nice. Well, yeah, you know, maybe you that, that you're out of the range of years for karet, but you can still deserve karet in terms of days. As we said before, if someone uh, gets uh, dies immediately uh, without being sick, right, or sick only for a short time, then that also is considered a type of karet, a person being cut short without the, the, the warning of being sick for five days. Uh, so, uh, but he said, well, at least you have something in your hand, half of it, at least you know you didn't get karet in years, uh, karet in, in days that, that you still don't know. All right, so <laughs> I'm not very kind of Abaye, I think, to say, well, who knows, you might be, might be still be deserving of karet, but I think he's joking with them. He died immediately without being sick. And so the rabbi said, this is a bad sign. Does this mean he, he was deserving of karet? If someone dies without being uh, sick, it dies immediately from uh, from something or other, then, and then yeah, that would be cut it. But that's only true if he didn't reach the age of 80. Uh, if a person already reached 80, and then they die without any pain or suffering, but immediately, then that is actually mitat neshika, when that, that, that applies to Moshe, Miriam, Aharon also. And so that would apply to Rav Huna, who was already older, past 80, and therefore that's okay. So what you see here is that any one of these definitions isn't, necessarily uh, the, the the definitive one uh, because there are m- multiple factors involved. Okay, and now we see another opinion that is completely different, the opposite of all the opinions we've said before. This is something that's quite radical uh, in context of what everything else in the Talmud says. It says the length of life and the children have one's going to have few or many children and sustenance if you're going to be rich or poor all these three main things that people are concerned about in their lives are not dependent on merit uh, in other words not dependent on if someone's righteous or not righteous but rather they are dependent on mazal on the constellation uh, in other words based on uh, you know astronomy based luck uh, literally it's based on um based on fate the fates 
um, uh, and uh, nothing to do with their righteousness. So they see this is uh, a complete diametrically opposite of everything we said before. Before we were saying someone dies uh, not after not be uh, not being sick or at a young age, that's because of uh, some demerit. And Avas says no, I think that has nothing to do with merit or demerit. It's just luck of the draw. And he has a proof. Ravaz in the fourth generation, and he's talking about his teachers, Rabbah and Rabbah in the third generation. And he says, I know both of them. I knew both of them. And both are a very righteous people, were right, righteous people. Uh, the greatest in their generation. Both of them, both this master could pray and bring rain, and the other master also could pray and bring rain. In other words, they were like miracle workers. Only the greatest of the righteous could, uh, could have God's ear like that. And yet, even though they were both equally righteous, Rav Chista lived for 92 years. Rav lived less than half, only 40 years. In the house of Rav Chista, he had 60 weddings. In the house of Rabah, they had 60 collapsed, 60 bereavements and mourning. Uh, 60 being a round number, because in Bavel, they use base 60. So it's like us saying uh, 100 or 1,000. Uh, so in other words, many, many weddings, many, many funerals. In the house of Rav Chista, and I was referring to Mezone, uh, right? We had, um, we had Chaye, how long they lived, Bane, uh, whether their children married or died, and uh, their wealth in the house of Rav Chista, there was fine flour for the dogs. And even that, there was so uh, leftover that nobody even wanted. That's how much fine flour they had. In the house of Rabbah, however, all they had is barley bread for people. Usually back then, nowadays we think barley is, you know, we get, uh, we pay extra for, um, uh, for uh, uh, five grain bread. But back then barley was only for animals and they had to, humans had to eat it and there was not even enough for humans to eat the barley bread. That's how poor Rabah was. So there you go, that's the proof um, based on uh, just a uh, um, empirical test of these two rabbis who, and you can't say that uh, Rabah was deserving of karet or anything else or anything that Rav Chista was not deserving of they were equally righteous, and they came to these two different conclusions. Okay, this is quite amazing that Rav said this. Ishonim have a hard time fitting this in with the rest of everything it says in the Talmud. Um, Professor Elman, Lava uh, Shalom, would often uh, talk about this line and point out that Rav who lived in Mechoza, uh, in Bavel, uh, uh, in, and it was an uh, important city. It was a suburb of Tesiphon, the, the capital of the Persian Empire. So Rabah was uh, knew a lot about his cultural surroundings. And there is a Persian uh, Zoroastrian text that sounds just like this. That it lists, uh, lists a whole bunch of things, including these and a few others. And it says these are based on luck and not based on merit. And so you wonder if Rabah maybe overheard that, thought about it, uh, did his, did his own, his own uh, research. And uh, perhaps that's why he's... Um, uh, he, he is the author of uh, this uh, outlying uh, viewpoint. Another statement of Rava that also has the number three. He says, I prayed for three, 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 these three things from heaven. Three of them, I, uh, two of them, sorry, I got. But one, my request was refused. 
to be as knowledgeable as Rav Huna, the greatest in the second generation's legendary, uh, to be and to be as rich as Rav Chista. See, this follows up on this uh, on this story, Rav Chista. And those were granted. Rav ended up being great, very wise and rich. But to have the humility of Rabah, the son of Rav Huna, um, and that was not answered, uh, was not given that humility. Of course, only someone humble would say that he was not, he was not, he did not receive humility. You can imagine the opposite, right? I prayed for humility and I got it, then it would be, then he would not have gotten it. So actually, maybe this ironically proves the opposite, that he, in fact, was humble and did receive it. Uh, all right. Rav Se'orim now we begin the first of a series of seven stories about deathbed scenes. So uh, Rava, the same Rava here as here, had a brother named Rav Seorim. And so he, uh, he was sitting before Rava and he saw He saw Rava started dozing off, but not just a regular dozing off. He was on his deathbed and he was having his last breath. He was going to go soon. And Rava said to his brother, please speak to the angel of death and tell him, don't torture me. The brother of Seorim says, Rava, aren't you best friends with the angel of death? Shushban, Shushbin is like the best man at a wedding, right? Um, he says, you always converse with him. You are on good terms with him. Can't you ask him yourself? He says, no, once my mazal, so another reference to um, one's uh, 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 constellation that is guard, guards over him. He says, once um, since now that my constellation has been given over to the hands of the angel of death, he doesn't care about me anymore. And we were good friends for, you know, for, for many years, but now I am in his hands. My fate is handed over to him. And so I, I have no special uh, relationship anymore. So Rav Sorim also, he couldn't help there. And so Rav Sorim says, when you die, please come back and, uh, and, and speak to me, right? Please appear to me. Uh, in a dream. And sure enough, itchazile, right? After Rava died, he appeared to his brother Rav Sorim in a dream. Amale havale le says, Was it painful when you died? Amale kiribda de husilta. It said it was like a prick of a knife of bloodletting. Uh, I guess we would compare that to uh, uh, an IV being stuck into your arm, right? So it's a pinch, but not, not very painful. Uh, very uh, handleable, so it was not uh, not very not not so um, not not painful. Uh, okay, Rava Havayatev Kamed Rav Nachman. Second story, um, Rava. Well, this is not in a chronological order, obviously, because Rava just died. So this is before that. Rava was sitting before Rav Nachman. And Rav Nachman started dozing, and he was about to die. So Rav Nachman says, please tell the angel of death not to torture me. He says, why would he torture? Aren't you an important person up in heaven? So you, you know, you'll have, you'll be okay. You'll get, you know, you can do an easy pass line. Uh, you don't have to be tortured. He says, who is honorable? Who's important? Who's honorable? 
who is up high in the Dakia or strong like the Dakia, who can say that they are uh, important in front uh, before heaven, right? So here again, in this world, Rav Nachman's important, right? He was related to the to the exilarch, so he was rich and important. And he says, yeah, down here, um, uh, you know, I could go in the uh, in the business class line, but uh, up in heaven, uh, there's no there's no favoritism. Rava said, um, when after you die, come back, come visit me in uh, in a dream. Uh, so some people ask, you know, isn't this Doresh al Hametim? Torah says you're not allowed to ask uh, favors from the dead. You can't ask the dead, pray on my behalf, you know, do this for me. All that is conjuring up the dead, which is uh, necromancy. Uh, so isn't this, isn't this the same? And so, well, maybe not because they're asked now right now if he's alive. So he's asking while he's alive, listen, after you die, would you do me a favor? So perhaps this is allowed because it's not asking from the dead. They're not dead yet. It and sure enough, Rav Nachman appeared to Rav in the dream. asks, was it painful to die? This is not at all like removing a hair from uh, from milk, right? If I see a little hair it falls in your cereal, so just go and remove it. Is that painful? It's not painful. It's nothing. Uh, however, even though it was, uh, it was very not painful at all, if Hashem would say, do you want to go back into the world, maybe a little bit, a little longer, and then die again? I would not do it because I'm afraid of the angel of death. You know, this time around, it wasn't painful, but it's a, still a scary experience. And who knows what might happen uh, next time around? So uh, no, thank you. Rabbi El Azar Havaka third story. It Chazile Rabbi El Azar. He was a kohen. He was middle of eating Tiruma. Angel of death appeared to him and says, "It's your time. Come with me." Amar le Tiruma kachil navelav kodesh ikre. He says, "Oh, can't you see what I'm doing? I'm the middle of eating Tiruma. Tiruma is sacred. I'm in the middle of a mitzvah here. Why? No, you can't take me now." Uh, so the angel of death said, "Okay, good point. Sorry to bother you while you're eating Tiruma." And once the angel of death passed, he went on to his next victim, and uh, Rabbi Al-Azad was able to live for some time after. So sometimes, you know, you just get away from that moment, and if you can, if you can survive that moment, then you may be okay for a while. Rav Sheshat was walking in the marketplace, in the shuk. Angel of death appears to him and says, come with me, it's your time. You're going to kill me in the marketplace like an animal? If you go to, go to the shuk and you see the butcher stands, and right, you're just going to be like a piece of meat out here. This is not a respectful way to die. Come to my house, right? Uh, give me a few minutes. Let me go to my house. Let me uh, die in peace in my bed. The angel of death saw him also in the marketplace. says, please do me a favor. I want to review my studies one more time. I need 30 days. I need 30 days to review my Torah. And then I'll be ready. Because uh, I know the rabbi, the, the, there's a tradition, right? Uh, praiseworthy is someone who comes to the to, to heaven with his study in his hand. And I've been studying a lot my whole life, but I just want to, one more, one more review before, right, uh, 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 last minute cramming session. So sure enough, exactly on the 30th day, the angel of death comes back. 
רב חיסטה להבה יחיל לה, דלהבה שתיק פומה מגרסה. רב חיסטה, it was his time to die, but the, the angel of death could not take him, because he constantly was studying Torah and would not stop. We're never silent. That's the rule. Angel of death can't take people when they're uh, when they're in the middle of learning Torah. This is said regarding a few people, uh, David HaMelech in, uh, in Berachot. It's said regarding uh, Rabah also. So it's a, um, a, a whole bunch of people use this to get away from death. And so the angel of death went and uh, sat on a, a cedar a tree or a column. And as it was sitting on it because of its weight, it cracked. And Rav Chista was distracted for just for a moment. And in that, in that moment, he stopped learning and the angel of death was able to take Rav Chista. And the last story, Rabbi Chia, the angel of death could not take Rabbi Chia, because Rabbi Chia was so righteous. So the angel of death, angel of death could um, uh, dress up as anybody, uh, often dresses up as, uh, as, as a woman, often as poor person. And so, the angel of death, disguised as a poor person, comes and knocks on the door. Please bring me some bread. Okay, now it looks like the angel of death, this is counterproductive because he's only giving Rabbi Chia yet another uh, merit, another mitzvah. Of course, Rabbi Chia gave him a piece of bread. And says, oh, see, I knew Rabbi Chia, right? See how you have, you, 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 um, you have mercy on poor. Uh, actually saying now the opposite. Um, so I don't, if you're so nice to poor people, how come you don't have mercy on a poor person? Meaning, if you're not so nice to a, a physically poor person who has no bread, why oh, don't you have mercy on me? And now he reveals himself. He reveals himself as the angel of death. And the point of the story is he's saying that, I'm the angel of death, and I need your life. I need your soul, right? That's what I've come to collect. And so just like you willingly gave of your own uh, bread to help a poor person, you see how selfless you are um, and how you care for others. Now, well, now actually I'm not a poor person. I'm the angel of death. And now I'm, I am in need, right? That is my job. I have to come to collect your life. And so therefore be selfless and time to give over your life. And so when he revealed himself, he showed this fiery rod, and that shows that's his badge, that he is, in fact, the angel of death. And Rabbi Chaya surrendered his life to him. A really interesting uh, story of a friend, um, Rabbi Yonatan Cohen, who uh, gave, uh, used this story to explain the, the statement that says, that giving charity can save one from, one from death. 
Well, is that true? I mean, there's lots of people that give charity, very philanthropic, and eventually they die. So, you know, what does that mean? What does that mean that will save from death? Um, so based on this, it's to say that we'll save from the uh, from the, the, the suffering of death and the pain of it. Um, that one, when, when someone is uh, gives tzedakah, becomes selfless, thinks about others more than himself, and uh, because of that, he knows he lived a good life and uh, helped people, and therefore has uh, that person's parting with of life um, is uh, not uh, as difficult um, as for others. And kind of mitab benishika, and so that's um, a really interesting series of stories, and uh, and how the angel of death also for himself was able to use Rebichia's own generosity against him. So I don't know what this says about the angel of death, but well, I guess that's what, that's what you could expect from his personality. Baruch Adonai Amen